When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 283. We're recording on Friday, October 19th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, who's back. <laughs> We're coming to you from bookriot.com. Amanda, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I been was saying to Sharifa, it had been a while since she'd been on. It's been a while since you've been on. Yeah, well, we have more people now. <laughs> we do. We don't. We, we have a uh, value over replacement, Amanda, is, is higher than it used to be. But still, no replacing, Amanda. Oh. But you've got your own stuff to do now. I was. I had uh, Sharifa, I don't know if you listened to last week's show, but I had Sharifa do the 60-second version of what her job is. You have a different job now. I do. Oh, am I doing Is it that 60- much different yet? It's entirely different. Entirely. It is entirely yes. different. Oh, that's interesting. Now, we're now having a work-related one-on-one call live <laughs> to tape here. So. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Other people will enjoy that. Yeah. yeah um, Sharifa got promoted to the, the managing editor position, like she explained, uh, which was my job. Um, mm-hmm. And so I am now like completely removed from the content that goes up on the site every day and the social media, which I was... 100% like in control of for many years. So, mm-hmm. so it's really weird. It's really weird to wake up in the morning and be like, I don't have to schedule anything right now. <laughs> it's like being in one of those autopilot cars. Like, wait, this is doing it, but I don't understand. It's just, this is, it's just this is a new happening. World. Like I yeah. replaced probably 20 daily tasks with one task, which is read the site. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so good. It's so good. That's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, that's cool. And um, you, you do audience development now, which is getting oh, yeah. more people to like what we do in mm-hmm. a nutshell. Yeah, yeah and I'm still like overseeing like the editorial you know, kind right. of direction and all that. But um, yeah, I, I'm like at your old-fashioned newspaper circulation. <laughs> that's right, out now. there knocking on doors. Yeah, I'm going to like get some suspenders and like learn to smoke cigars <laughs> crankily. That's, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Let's get some direct mail. Yeah. That's probably where we're going. We're back to newsletters. I know now. we would newsletters. Like, yeah, how far, how far do we have to go back? If a book writer ever print magazine, you'll know that things <laughs> have really taken a turn. Or we start sending and, texts. And I will say, in 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 one of our darker moments of brainstorming, it did it did raise its ugly um, fossilized head. Mm-hmm. It's like what what if what if we did a a magazine and like it seemed like a good idea for about negative six seconds. Mm-hmm. Like, no, we can't, I don't know how to do that. It's one of those um, things where like as it comes out of your mouth, you're like, no, come back. You said, oh, go back in. Can you push <laughs> sounds back in? Is that possible? Uh, anyway, so we got some follow up to do. Uh, this this follow up happened almost instantly. After I published the show last Monday about Diana Gabaldon, we were talking about um, The Great American Read and how it was a 100% white finalist. Turns out that's not the case. Um, Diana Gabaldon, well, what to say? <laughs> um, it, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be, I don't want any of this to come off as snarky or satirical. And I know that's my default mode. So, uh, and, I, and Amanda's never snarky or satirical, so she doesn't have this problem at all. Um, that she isn't. Though how she identifies is more complicated, maybe than is easy to count. Is that a fair way of putting it, mm-hmm. Amanda? I mean, yeah, she has complicated she, feelings about it. Apparently. She has complicated feelings about her own um, racial and cultural identity. Her father, she calls herself again. There's not like a definitive Wikipedia piece about here's how Diana Gabaldon identifies, mm-hmm. but putting together some of the pieces and comments she's made. She she says I'm half Hispanic. You know, my father was Mexican American, and there's some stuff about like. I write about Scotland because that's my heritage too. And it's a fair point mm. to think about, you know, race is, is um, twisty and turny and it's not as simple as you're in this category and this court, nor really should it be. Um, sometimes in our efforts to, in my, I'll, I'll take ownership myself, in my efforts to do kind of uh, first pass checks on how diverse or non-diverse or homogenous a list might be, it becomes like this category, this category, this category, is it this mm. or this or this or this, which I don't think is probably the reality of most people's experience. I don't think probably in the fullness of time the most healthy way for Americans <laughs> to think about race and cultural identity. Mm-hmm. But that being said, um, that Diana Gabaldon isn't white, white as we <laughs> think about it. 
<laughs> commonly. Is mm-hmm. it, I'm trying to be careful. Am I being careful? How have I screwed this up, Amanda? No, I think I, it, question mark. Like, yeah, right. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, she. I would say that she's white white passing, and if that's hmm. the way that she wants to I, go with God, like I don't know. Right. I am always really little squeaky about put it hoisting an identification on people that they don't sure. seem to want. I don't know that she doesn't want it, but she doesn't seem to be embracing it. I get the thing about like, she writes about Scotland because that's also part of her heritage. And so she looks, since she is white passing, that's probably mm-hmm. what she's grown up experiencing the world as, yeah. as a white woman. So right. it makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and again, I think, like I said, in the fullness of time, we'd like people to have more autonomy over their identity mm-hmm. um, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which it's that's what they how they think about themselves. Mm-hmm. But for our purposes of like doing the check about, I, I think what's also inaccurate is to say that the list is 100% white. That is also inaccurate. Now, mm-hmm. I think probably the, the, the greater injustice is trying to use sort of numerical, quantitative... <laughs> Um, you know, bean counting to capture people's experience. Um, does that mean that, ne- that we should left Americans off the hook because of their reading homogeny? No, no I think yeah. that also is not the case. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's especially some, since she's white passing, like she may not yeah, actually right. be white, but we all thought she was all of y'all right. think she is. So like, mm. <laughs> and, and, push comes to shove if you asked her do you say do you consider yourself latina i'd, I'd be curious to hear what she says mm-hmm. um it's not clear to me from what i've seen what the answer to that would be and frankly i'm not really entitled to that answer i'd be yeah. curious to know it um but you know as we're doing this kind of work of trying to encourage the reading culture at large to be more inclusive this is the kind of mistake i can make um in, in doing that. So there's your nuance, a big bowl of nuance for us this morning, <laughs> piping hot, piping hot nuance. Um, so, okay. F- more, more follow up there. Uh, comments or questions about this. Honestly, I mean, this is one of the situations where the, the follow up was very helpful. Um, if you know more about um, what she said, or uh, you have your own thoughts about it, email us at podcast at bookriot.com. Um, we talked about, uh, talked about as being generous. We mentioned that the Man Booker <laughs> long list was announced. Uh, uh, Rebecca and I have been uh, lax in keeping up with our lit fic for the year. Um, and it came out that this late last week, I think weirdly like a Friday evening story. I don't know why this would be, but this is how they decided to do it. Um, Anna Burns won the 2018 Man Booker Prize for her third novel, Milkman. Um, she's the first writer from Northern Ireland to win the Booker, which is notable. I had That's never thought about that before. Yeah. I don't know if you had. Um, but Burns' experimental novel is about a bookish 18-year-old girl. That's about all I know about it. I, I think I might want to read this someday, so I've kind of kept myself spoiler-free. Um, I, I don't know if there's anything else to say a about it. Me Too novel. A oh, bit. is it? Okay. Yeah, that's, or in, at least it's a, like this girl's experience is about being harassed by a man during the troubles. Um, mm, okay. That's what I've heard. I haven't read it. I mean, we can't read it. <laughs> you can't read, well, they, say so, well, tell me about that. You can't go buy this book right now, right? No, you can't. Um, the American publisher is going to be Grey Wolf, which is great. Uh-huh. They're in a, they're such a good independent press. Um, and it was supposed to be released next fall, but now that it's one, they're pushing, uh, they're pushing it up to December of this mm-hmm. year. So you can read it soon, but you can't read it now. And I've not, it's not even like a thing where we've gotten advanced copies. I'm on no. Grey Wolf's press list and they send me all their stuff. I haven't gotten it yet. So mm-hmm. who knows what will happen? You can't, you can't go read it. Um, I don't even think there's an ebook. Sometimes we see if they have the text, they'll publish an ebook real quick just mm-hmm. because that's one of the, the advantages of ebooks. <laughs> um, but that, as far as I know, that's not even out yet. Uh, of course, um, I'm, I always, I always, uh, watch with my arms crossed, I will say the bookseller reaction to these kind of awards. Mm-hmm. Um, because booksellers, this is what, it's in the name, I just said it, they want to sell books, right? So if it's not out yet, they don't, understandably so, they wish that the book was out so people could go buy it and capitalize, literally capitalize <laughs> yeah. on um, the publicity and the notoriety, notoriety is wrong word, there's a publicity and the excitement around the book. Um, so that's always interesting. Again, they prefer it to be a name, you know, a name people recognize because that's I, I don't care about that. But if you're a bookseller, this is sort of the worst case scenario, right? Where it's a, a book no one's heard about, or an author's no one's heard about, and the book won't be available for a couple months. Kind of rough. Mm. But 
you know, there's that thing. For those of you who don't know, the Man Booker is one of the most um, lucrative prizes in terms of cash for a single title. The winner gets uh, 500,000 pounds, uh, which is uh, about $66,000 right now. Um, I also saw some stories that the print runs are going, I mean, Grey Wolf, I'm sure now, but I think they had initial print run of like 15K for this, and now it's going to be 125K. Mm. I think those are the numbers I saw. Um, so in real in royalty situation, that gives you a sense like, you know, you think about $2. I don't know if it's a hard cover. I don't know if it's a soft cover. A Grey Wolf sometimes does, especially international works, will be straight to, to paperback. Um, Grey Wolf also wins way more of these kinds of awards than they should by sort of market share, right? Um, they're awfully good at picking out um, books that are excellent but underlooked and, and the, the big publishing houses don't see. So there's that. Um, I'm glad. Northern Ireland, I mean, again, I'm not plugged into the intricacies of intra-European um, geopolitical feelings, but that I know is that Northern Ireland's like a thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that uh, that the Man Booker, which is, you know, an, an English centered centric award you know given out in england so forth in, in english uh for the commonwealth that it had never been given to a northern irish writer was i, I raised my eyebrow when i saw it. i was like oh about time yeah like an american one before yeah I right irish author george right. saunders yeah. won last year <laughs> That's- yeah I, you know i've always been sort of uh, if it's going to be the english-speaking colonial world like the american should be in it a good counter to that would have been, but the, an Irish person hasn't won it. Can we at least get an Irish person to win, a Northern Irish person, before we get the Americans in? I think I maybe would have said, you know, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. But no one made that award because, point to me because they didn't think about Northern Ireland either because we're <laughs> American-centric a-holes here. Um, speaking of a-holes, uh, so <laughs> nice. in the Stephen Elliott <laughs> – no, that, I said that just so I could set myself um, – in the Stephen Elliott suit that he's bringing against uh, Moira Donegan for – I mean, I guess calling him out on his crappiness, uh, mm-hmm. for lack of a better, uh, more articulate phrase. Um, he hired a big gun, as we talked about, and now Moira Donegan has a big gun on her side. Yep. Uh, the co-founder of the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund, Robbie Kaplan, filed paperwork to represent Moira Donegan. Um, basically, Ka- uh, Kaplan is probably the central figure on the the side of light, I would say, yeah. in the Me Too situation. Um, she argued against a libel suit brought by accused sexual abuser Brett Ratner. Um, I think a, a, not a dissimilar case structurally. Um, the, the particulars are different, but a similar idea. It's like I was accused of something. I'm going to f- sue you for libel for saying I did this bad thing, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she's also gone against Stephen Elliott's lawyer, Andrew T. Miltonberg, a number of times, which I thought was interesting. She also represented Edie Windsor in the landmark Supreme Court case, United States versus Windsor, which struck down the Defense of Marriage Act. So, But what I can tell is that Robbie Kaplan is essentially an auror yeah. uh, of the courtroom, um, and they're the uh, the Moira Donegan's GoFundMe for Legal Defense Fund, the last I checked— was up over $100,000. I have no idea whether or not Robbie Kaplan will actually be billing. Charging, right. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if she wasn't. I also wouldn't be surprised if she was. Um, if I, I guess, in, you know, if I were Stephen Elliott, I certainly wouldn't be thrilled by this news, which then makes me, Jeff O'Neill, very glad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in that regard. He's going to get his butt handed to him, which is nice. I mean... Yeah, I hope so. I really hope so. It's interesting um, that she's taking it as a as a free speech thing, like in this statement mm, in the article that we're putting in the show notes. Right. Um, Kaplan is saying that Elliot's lawsuit is an attempt to intimidate other women from speaking out, which is a free speech violation. So like that's mm-hmm. how she's arguing the case, which I thought was an interesting angle. I hadn't thought about that, but that's why I am not a fancy lawyer. <laughs> yeah, neither of us <laughs> neither of us are lawyers. And um the the extent of my legal analysis of this thing these kinds of things is generally well that doesn't seem right. That's yeah. that's about as far that's as messed I, up. <laughs> yeah. That that's messed up. Yeah, maybe in the, that's about it. Um under what under what um statute or law would she argue proactively that not only has she done nothing wrong, but the his lawsuit is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, in its in its other ways, it just seems so, so, so like because they, now all these people are going to have to get 
get up in court and say out loud what a jerk he is. Like he's he's just gonna he's gonna lose. I, it's a I terrible don't, idea. I, I don't. I don't understand it. Um there is a I'm not even sure what you would call it, but there's a term that I like that I find useful in situations. It's called the Streisand effect. Mm-hmm. You, you, you maybe have heard about it. If you, the, the others who haven't heard about it, it's like, I don't actually know exactly what it refers to, but Barbara Streisand made some sort of PR stink about something that she didn't want out. And the stink she made about it actually made more people find about, out about the thing that she didn't want people to find mm-hmm. out about by making yep. a stink about it. So anytime you see something like this where... You know, in aggregate, do people think better or worse of Stephen Elliott right now than they did eight days ago? Well, I wasn't thinking about Stephen Elliott at all eight days ago, so just using by my metric. um, Maybe he really thought he was going to get some money, and that would help him mitigate, I'm sure, the career opportunities um, that have been – that he has thrown away. Let's put put it that way, make it more proactive. Um, But I think at the very least, this suggests that the intimidate, hope we get a settlement – Move that some of these lawsuits are. I don't think Robbie Kaplan's going to settle for two hundred grand. You know, I don't think she's going to say let's get let's pay this dude two hundred grand to go away. That, that's not the kind of um, fighter she seems to be. So we shall see. She has a book. We go shall book. see. She does. Yeah, she wrote a book about um, about the defense against marriage or whatever it was. Like she wrote. Oh, the, I need, the I need to read DACA. that. She, yeah, she wrote a, uh, a memoir about it. She was going to come to Book Right Live. Do you not remember this? Oh, that's right. Yeah, she was. I supposed totally to come forgot to about Live, that. And then she had to go to court, unsurprisingly, that's so she couldn't right. come. <laughs> yeah. I had I'd completely book. forgotten that minor footnote of history. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, things that didn't happen. I have I have to admit a hard time keeping track of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess um, I feel better about that bad situation now than mm-hmm. I did. When we when we talked to you all last time, another news: we need the New Jerseyans, you Garden Staters. We need your help because the Indigo in New Jersey, in Short Hills, New Jersey, is open, and we need spies. We want to go see. <laughs> we, want, we, want you, we, we want you to go talk about. We had, we've people done a wonderful job telling us about the stores, um, the Amazon stores, the new Amazon stores, and when we had the new Barnes and Noble. In Columbia, Maryland, we had, I don't know if I ever did follow, but we had some people go to the Columbia, Maryland store. Um, and I thought the, the feedback from, from that was interesting in that they felt like it was um, Barnes & Noble playing as a big indie. And I was like, yes, mm. that is what I'm, that is, I mean, I don't know if that's the right move, but that's the move I would hoping they would try. Um, also, we had um, some of our, our, our UK listeners talking about Waterstones, Waterstones, whatever, however you say it over there in uh, jolly old England, um, say that, look, the, the new Barnes & Noble format looked a lot like the new Waterstones um, store. So there's, there's, there's some uh, convergence, confluence, uh, alignment of strategy going on here. The, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes um, to a local... I, I intentionally didn't... Use, I'm not including a book world coverage of this because I was like how do how do civilians covering this sort of thing so mm-hmm. this is like a New Jersey blog um, you can see and I've described it as what if William Sonoma but bookstore and totally that's what it looks like it's a, okay. I mean it's incredible so I have didn't until about 20 minutes ago know what indigo was like i've never yes. heard well you haven't been in the show in nine thousand years so you haven't heard us harping on it a thousand well times, i don't so know I, yeah i don't know what this is yeah. i knew like whatever okay so i was looking at the pictures and my first thought was oh this looks like ikea and then oh this looks oh. like anthropology so it looks that's what it looks like to me like if anthropology and ikea had a baby with more bookshelves where are you getting? Oh, I guess it's those those like kind of tall industrial ceilings with the like the yeah, and the instead of lighting like, all around. How and yeah, if you go into IKEA, see. every every it's like separate rooms, right? And it's styled for right. like the Bohemian person, the whatever you know, the mod person. So it's got the those different stylized, and you like you walk into a set up living room and pick up the stuff you want to buy. And that's right. kind of what this looks like. Um, I can see that. I didn't think of IKEA, but now that I'm looking at it through through those eyes, that makes sense to me as well. Like it's so you hear us sort of struggling to find uh, <laughs> an exact analog, and I think that's interesting of it in its own self. Like mm-hmm. I think some there's a little IKEA, there's a little William Sonova. I think the anthropology is interesting too, and you're seeing the anthropology because of like 
the kind of jumbled, lived-in sort of feel. Yeah, and they have a lot of displays that are like, here's seven, like seventeen cozy throw blankets next to a table yeah. full of books. Like uh, anthropology does sell books, um, and it's not mm-hmm. just nonfiction about design or whatever. They do sell like pretty classics That's true. and stuff yeah. like that. So, um, do and, you like anthropology? Nah, I will never pay that much money for like a tin okay. can. Yeah, like that bothers me. Uh, Every time I go in there, I'm like, I kind of like this, and also, what is this? Yeah. Like the same, this kind of I feel about. <laughs> it feels um, like nostalgia porn in a store, which is cool yeah. if that's what you're in the mood for, like that kind of oh, Agatha Christie novel comes it, to life. Yeah, it's like the apotheosis of Shabby Chic. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The mass marketing of Shabby Chic. I, I've got several questions about this Indigo store. Um, one is, if I know what book I want, how do I find it? Yeah, and is there a fiction section, like a general? I don't. I can't tell how all the books are arranged. There's a big kids indigo, like a children's books mm-hmm. area, which looks like a more conventional children's books area. From the other pictures, it's like there's a there's a bunch of books on tables and then like towels on the shelves <laughs> and like I don't see again. Maybe it's just the pictures they've they've chosen in this particular one, but like there's like a dining room cornucopia setup that has books mixed in with like the potpourri and fake baby's breath. I'm like, okay, interesting, the but, the but what if? Shop. Oh, my gosh. They've got – I'm just reading this now. Like, the, So it is set up – like, cookbooks are in that kitchen area. There's a room of her yeah. own area that's, like, handbags and cosmetics, and I don't know what kind of books she would put in there. But the wellness shop has Fitbits and anxiety-weighted blankets and books on wellness and also a meditation hut because that's what you need when you're shopping. So here's my question to you readers. Go look at this. I go and you go find some other pictures and and riddle me this uh, bat women. Is this a bookstore? Mm. Mm. Amanda. No. I mean, it doesn't look like one to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Rebecca and I have been uh, gently sparring over the last couple months about um, what 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 do you need to be to be qualified as a book retailer? As we talked about, you know, who's going to buy Barnes and Noble, and we got this weird spy leak about a book retailer was going to. And so we were arguing, like, what 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 companies would be eligible, sort of spiritually, to be labeled a book retailer? And you know, is Walmart a book retailer because they don't principally sell books, but they also sell an awful lot of books? Is Target? Mm-hmm. Is Costco? Costco. Mm-hmm. Um, is even Amazon at this point? Like, what what frac- What percentage of your sales has to be books for you to be considered a book retailer? And this, I think, is an interesting case study because it it really is like it would be easier to make an Ikea into this Mm -hmm. than a bookstore into an Ikea. Does that make sense? Like if you're coming from one direction, like this is way more towards the Ikea direction than the bookstore direction. It it looks like a home goods lifestyle store with some books in it. But I mean, that has too many books. That has too many books. in it. It's like four pictures that I'm basing this off of. So if you know, y'all out there in real life who go to these places in your life have other right. uh, opinions than I'm uh, sure I just but based on what I'm seeing here it doesn't look like a bookstore to me but yeah because it could be easily that there's some selection bias going on because these are the most attractive pictures right. to take and the pictures of just like bookshelves like in a row aren't that aren't interesting in so I didn't take a picture because you could go to Barnes and Noble and take a picture of the kids play area and be like look it's not a bookstore right there's no books in it, so. yeah right you could do the cafe you could mm-hmm. do toys and games and magazines mm-hmm. and be like wait a minute where are the books like oh wait we just had our back to like the giant stacks <laughs> of books that is you know, that no one's browsing <laughs> yeah. yeah right very very interesting um I think it looks like a pleasant place to to poke around mm-hmm. um I'm not sure there's anything. I mean, I'm not a particularly a home goods, you know, aficionado. Like that, that doesn't attract me in. But maybe if it's pleasant enough to go around and look at the books, because like what we're seeing here is the books are. I don't see any that are spine out. They're all cover out or in big stacks. Yeah. Which, as a browser, I really like. As someone who's going, you know, heat seeking missile for a specific title, I don't like that. But I think that heat seeking for a specific title crowd is a uh, one click in. If you catch my drift, mm-hmm. you know, there's other places you can do that. All right. Anything else there, Amanda? Mm-mm. Okay. Go, go Let's do our first place. sponsor. Yeah, go. Yeah, please spy. Take pictures. <laughs> it's not a spy. It's, a, it's like free. It's like advertising. They're not going to, this is, this is not, uh, uh, this is not uh, George Smiley. Stuff. <laughs> 
Um, shout out to the 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 Lacare. Um, our first sponsor this week, Penguin Random House Audio, our beloved <laughs> longtime sponsor of the Book Riot podcast, is back. It's book club time. All every all the, every time is book club time. Mm-hmm. Keep up with your book club by reading and listening to the audiobook. Audiobooks are the perfect complement to your busy schedule. I don't know about you, Amanda, but October seems to me to be extremely busy. There's a lot going on. The kids are doing stuff, a lot of school activities. There's people coming and going and meetings and so on and so forth. We came out of the hazy, lazy days of summer, um, got through mm-hmm. September, and now we're in full swing of the year. And sometimes the first thing to go is your leisure time activity. But you can listen while you're doing other stuff, while you're cooking, while you're shopping, while you're carving Pop-Tarts, Pumpkins. I don't know why Pop-Tarts came out there. That's weird. Listen to new releases such as Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens and read by Cassandra Campbell. And you can enjoy a whole new book club experience. For more listening suggestions, visit... Try audiobooks.com slash book riot. Thanks to Penguin Random House Audio and try audiobooks.com for sponsoring this week's show. Okay. Uh, we got we got potpourri time now. After long last or long national nightmare is over. <laughs> we've just been sitting around um, holding our Kindles in uh, plastic bags all day long because they have not to this point be waterproof. But finally. The new Amazon Kindle Paperwhite, Paperwhite is waterproof. It is now the least expensive mainstream waterproof e-reader, which is weird. Is like, does that mean there's some like underground e-readers that are water? I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> it's a kind of a long time coming. Frank, I mean, seriously, for the, for the leader in e-reader hardware, they're kind of a Johnny-come-lately to this particular feature, which I think has been kind of the last thing people have been asking for from dedicated e-ink readers. I think it's a mature device. I don't think there's a lot more you can do to make it more attractive except this thing, which is good for, I guess, some of the use cases we, in our romantic vision of reading in vision, which is reading by the pool, reading Mm -hmm. at the beach, reading in the bathtub, uh, reading on a riverboat, um, while kayaking. Do you think about about reading on a riverboat? I do. You know, it's very Twain. It uh, is. Going down the Mississippi with my Kindle, just like they did in the old just days. Just like Mark did. Good old just, Mark. Just like, Mark, just like old uh, Sam Clemens. Himself <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Connecticut Yankee with King Arthur's Kindle, I believe, oh, was the original title gosh. for that. Um, <laughs> so there you go. 129 bucks. First time in three years, the Kindle has been updated. This Paperwhite has been updated. It's the paper. I like this. This is my... Look, like a lot of you, I'm sure I have multiple devices I read on and listen on, and then I read print. I, I think that's a thing that maybe I don't know what you think, Amanda. Like five years mm-hmm. ago, I'm not sure we would have realized that a lot of people's reading lives would be fragmented across devices and reading circumstances. I'm not sure what yours are, but like I have an iPad that I do comics on, and I have a yeah. Kindle for specific cases, and then I have Libby on my phone for those interstitial moments where I don't have a book, and I've got my audiobooks on my phone, and then my print stack on. It's just it's kind of everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. But this is part of the mix. If you, I know, I know a lot of people say they like to read in the bath. I just don't imagine it. First of all, we talked about how the the plight of the tall is overlooked. Yes, most baths aren't super comfortable if you're six four like I am. Um, but there you go. Go buy one if you want one. Good gift. Um, do you have a Kindle? What do you, do you do? Your e reading on your phone? Do you do e reading anymore? I don't know where you are with your reading life right now. Um, I, when I want to be reading, uh, something digitally, I read on my phone. I had a Kindle that I never used and actually just Hmm. sold like three days ago. Oh, is that right? So, so some to some to some poor sucker didn't knowing the uh, the yeah. waterproof ones. I, the, the, the poor poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just don't, and I have no opinions about digital reading. I just mm-hmm. I look at a screen all day for work. So by the time I'm done with yep. that, I don't. I just don't want to look at another one. So mm-hmm. go with God. Yeah, I usually use mine for travel. Yeah. Every now and again, I'll buy um, from Book Riot Deals. I have to say, shout out to Book Riot Deals. I will buy like a three dollar. Kindle book, and just because it's available and it's there. It's like my own personal library. Yeah. Like if I have something I want to read and I don't have something right there and I don't want to wait on Libby or something, uh, I'll do it that way. What did I just pick up? Sort of random. Oh, The Orchid Thief by Susan Orlean. I was like, yeah, I'm you traveling. I've been one. I hadn't. Had you? Yeah. I read it when the movie came out. 
Yeah, I you know I I miss a lot of trains, Amanda. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, that was uh, in college, this, I think, when I had time for trains. So yeah. Well, now that I'm in my year of nonfiction. I'm like I'm picking some of these things up. Um, so that was the the case. That was that's my use case for the paper art. You can I could take four books and keep it in my backpack, which mm-hmm. is nice for traveling. Um, I don't think there's. I mean, I was trying to think of something interesting and funny to say about this. I guess what the, the the thing that's interesting is a meta point, which is how uninteresting e-readers are. I don't think is that cheating. Do you think to, the, my interesting thing is how uninteresting these things are? I don't know. Uh, maybe how uninteresting they've become. Because they've when, become when Book Riot first launched, that it was a big. We had to put a line in our application. Remember that of like you. Yes. We don't don't send us samples about how bad e-readers are. We don't care. Right. Like, we had to specifically say that we didn't want to hear mm-hmm. that stuff because that was the conversation at the time. But now. Seven years later, my God, uh, no one cares. So. Oh, my God. No one cares. Yeah. There's been a lot of talk about how ebooks as a format have stagnated. Mm. Like, you know, we thought we were going to get these enhanced e-reading experiences where you have a soundtrack and, like, it emits smells and there's <laughs> hyperlinks or whatever. Like, you know, and there was like, look, think of the future. And it turned out that that either either people don't want that, which is what I kind of tend mm-hmm. to think. Um, publishers weren't investing in ebooks because they didn't want ebooks to be a thing, which is also possibly true. But Amazon, which is, has as much incentive as anybody to make a really great e-reading experience, this is this is what they're choosing to do. I'm not even saying it's the best they could do, but they're cho- this is what they're choosing to do. Um, and this is, you know, not that not that interesting it does now have bluetooth so if you can you can play your audible audiobooks over bluetooth headphones i mean welcome to 2010 yeah. i guess is what i think <laughs> about that um so there you go so I, I thought yeah i thought that was notable news both for the 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 very small number of people that are actually like hey yeah that's that's pretty great but it reminds me how much i do want to ignore because there's nothing going on there of interesting in the, that space yeah. um i've broken my well look there's there's a meridian <laughs> you have to cross for me to get interested in an adaptation of something and i will admit um wholeheartedly that it's idiosyncratic and um mercurial where, where my line is this one crossed my line um bbc bbc sherlock's creative teaming is bringing us dracula if only because i like sherlock I watched yeah. it. Michelle and I watched it. We enjoyed it. I thought it was an interesting take. It was a modernized version. I had never given one second of thought to what else would I like this team to do. Mm-hmm. But if I had given a second to it, I think I might have thought of Dracula. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. Did you watch Sherlock? I did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you didn't like it, I can tell. No, I liked it. I oh. don't like these two. Like, I, I don't like... Oh, these dudes? Yeah. Okay. Um. Is there something not to like about them? I don't. I honestly don't. God, know. The, well, Mark Gaddis is fine. I've not really heard anything about him. Um, Stephen okay. Moffat is a doofus. <laughs> oh, um, well, that's too bad. That's a, that's okay. Yeah, right. it has. I think my opinions about him have more to do with Doctor Who than Sherlock oh. because he made Doctor Who into this monstrosity nightmare of a garbage show, and then he had to be removed from the show or like leave. I don't think he was removed, but he had to leave the show before we could get a woman in the role. And he like very openly opposed having a woman play Doctor Who. Um, oh, great. Yeah. And there was this whole kerfuffle, like, uh, in Sherlock, when he... I, uh, can I spoil this? I don't know. There's, like, that big plot twist. Fast forward. Sherlock. Wait, hold on. If you don't want to hear Sherlock spoilers, skip ahead two minutes. Okay, do, yeah, okay. do, do it. Do it. So Spoiler sh- horn, honk. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> when Sherlock fakes his death, um, and that was at the end of a season. Right. And then there was a bunch of, several months in between the two seasons. And a bunch of fan theories came out about, like, is he actually dead? How did he get away with it? All this kind of stuff. And Stephen Moffat was so horrible and rude to the fans who were asking or, like, coming, writing their own fanfic about it and all this stuff. And he was like, you're just writing fanfiction. I distinctly remember him making some kind of statement that was like, you're, this is just nonsensical fanfiction. Which is exactly what you're making, Stephen. Yeah, Moffitt. that's 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 what we call uh, get a log in your own eye, fellow. Yeah, so whatever. Like, I just have a per- I have beefs with this guy, uh, but I'm mm-hmm. I like I like the show. I don't like mm-hmm. him. <laughs> okay, fair. That's totally fair. Yeah. Totally fair. Um, putting that to the side temporarily, just mm-hmm. to get back. Like, I'm curious to see that sensibility that brought that version of Sherlock. Um, and that also that format again, I'm always, I'm always mystified and in awe of like the weird BBC formats <laughs> of shows. Like we're going to do three 90 minute episodes this season. Like what that, 
that's not a, that's not an episode, and that is not a season. But I I will watch it. I mean, I'm gonna, so like there's some of me. It's like I don't know. It is. It's like going to a, a foreign country and like seeing what they have for breakfast. I'm like, I guess technically this is breakfast because having at eight a.m. But this is sausage and broccoli. That's I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> um, but so okay, uh, that's interesting. But this is one. I think it makes sense. It's a. I mean, frankly, it's a public domain project, mm-hmm. um, so they can do a lot of different things with it. It's a title, where, much like Sherlock. Dracula is a one-word man character's name that people recognize. Like, it does a lot of work for you just to call it Dracula, just like to call it Sherlock. I um, wish they would set it in the present, though, because they're, they're doing it in Victorian London. I saw that, too. I don't like I thought, it. I was hoping for the same thing. Because part of the thing that makes Sherlock so compelling is, like, how they integrate smartphones and blogging yeah. and all of that into... Um, into his his and like modern mental health issues, you know, like the mo- mm-hmm. the modernization of Sherlock is, I think, ninety percent of what's cool about it. And do we need another Victorian show about Victorians being Victorian? I don't know. I'll probably yeah, watch the first know. one and then not like it and move on. But you know. <laughs> Yeah, because I guess modern vampires have sort of been done of yeah. late. Not to get into that, so maybe like a, um. Dracula, but for Mad Men, like you know, fifties mm-hmm. kind of, you know, or like situation. World War Two. <laughs> that would be yeah, funny. I would like that. Or sixties, like the swinging sixties vampire. Like Dracula would get his swerve on. In <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, there's a reason we don't write shows. <laughs> there's a or it's this right here. <laughs> there's a reason we should write shows. All right, go the other way. There you go. Um, so that that I thought I would bring that up. Uh, let's do. Shall we? Shall we do another sponsor? I think it's time for another sponsor. Okay. I think it is. Okay. This week's episode is also sponsored by The Kingfisher Secret from McClellan, McClelland and Stewart. Here's what the deal is. It's October 2016. In America, the election is a few weeks away. Oh, the pre, the, before the fall. <laughs> Journalist Grace Elliott has just landed a scoop that she believes will make her career. A porn star is willing to talk about her affair with a man some hope and many fear will become the next president of the United States. Huh. But no one will touch it. Not even Grace's boss, the right-wing publisher of America's leading tabloid. Instead, Grace is sent to Europe where she discovers a story so big, so explosive, that it could decide the American election and launch a new Cold War. As long as she can stay alive long enough to tell it. It's an energetic thriller infused with political intrigue and conspiracy. That is the Kingfisher secret from McClelland and Stewart. Thanks to them for sponsoring this week's show. Shall we go into the land <laughs> of suspect scientific studies? Yay! Everyone's favorite place. Correlation is not causation. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this one's a little bit different than stories we've seen like this before, which we'll get into a minute. I'll do the, the top line, Amanda, maybe you can tell me what you think about it or what else you saw about it. But um, a large new study finds that people who grew up in book-filled homes have a higher reading, have higher reading math and technological skills. A new large-scale study, study featuring data from 31 countries reports they do indeed. Um, let's see. Surveys taken between 2011 and 2015. 15 featured adults ages 25 to 65 um, the participants were asked how many books there were in their home when they were 16 and they chose from a series ranging from 10 or less to more than 500 they defined literacy in a specific way long story short they say it's good for you mm. now okay. here we go <laughs> why do we want to be careful about these because it's not it's not the books right like it's right. poverty <laughs> it's uh yeah. your parents education it's your school system it's mostly poverty to be honest like people who mm-hmm. could afford to have a lot of books in their house have access to better education systems in the u.s i don't know how it is in other countries mm-hmm. but, but here um you know the wealthier you are the better school you go to that's pretty much Mm-hmm. How that goes. So I don't, and it does say, oh, where, uh, um, growing up with home libraries boosts adult skills in the areas that they're talking about beyond the benefits accrued from parental education or one's own educational or occupational attainment. But that mm-hmm. doesn't really address 
your childhood educational situation or <laughs> right. economics at all. Like the fact that you went mm-hmm. to college doesn't mean that when you were a kid, you were going to a good school. I don't know. It's just like I, I could say I mean, growing up with four BMWs means you're going to be a better reader. Right. Yes, exactly. Or uh, braces. Yeah. Or, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, any number of things like that mm-hmm. we, we could list. I mean, let's list things privileged people get. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think what we haven't seen here, we've seen studies like this before that argue just like the presence of books in the home either causes mm-hmm. or predicts or some other is related to in some way outsized educational life literacy outcomes. This wouldn't be a hard thing to test, right? Like you you get 100,000 books, you put them in, you put 300 books randomly, a random selection of books in the homes of 300 poor kids and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Does anyone really believe it's going to matter just randomly putting the books in the home? I mean, because that's what they're really suggesting somehow, right? Like that the books themselves are like magic objects, that their mere presence in the home will do something. Maybe that's right. Maybe having that many books in the home means that you get used to books, being around books. You flip through them when you encounter them later. I mean, there's there's stories you could put together about why this might be the case. But in order for a theory to be usable, it has to be Mm -hmm. predictive, right? And Mm -hmm. so you need... You could test this. I mean, it wouldn't be impossible. It would be weird, <laughs> um, but it wouldn't. But you're not doing like it's not like you're ta- you're testing mascara on pictures or something here. You're just putting books in people's homes. So until someone does that, I'm just going to hold these at an arm's length about getting too excited about the mere presence of books in people's homes. Yeah, and like at the very bottom of the article, they taught they asked the researcher like, how how does growing up around yeah. books make these people more highly skilled? And she said that. It's the fact that children emulate parents who read. So, like, if you're seeing your parent read as a kid, you're more likely to take that up as a hobby, Um, Mm -hmm. which is probably true, sure. But that doesn't... You you could have a parent who reads and gets all their books from the library. Exactly. You could have a parent who reads on their phone. Like, uh, it doesn't mean that you have to have 500 books in your house. Yeah. It's, and I it's mean, that same exact thing of, like, you, if you're not seeing... And it's still, again, it's economic. If your parent's working three jobs, they're probably not sitting on the sofa every day reading stories. like Or not while you're awake. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's confusing because there's something about... I mean, we see enough of these stories that it's, it feels like a question that some segment of people want to answer, which is, does the mere presence of books alone do something? Mm-hmm. Which seems to me strange when, when we know so much about how educational and economic advantage predicts future outcomes. Like, why is this a question? Right. Like, are we going to do something with this information that we wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't we better off just fighting poverty writ large than sort of yes. worrying about how many books on, I, I guess that's the part of it that ultimately moves it from just being sort of a curiosity of like weird thinking to this feels wrong-headed and maybe counterproductive to, 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 to fetishize like the effect of nine books versus 42 books mm-hmm. on the shelf. I, I don't well, get it. I mean, there are charities that exist specifically to put books in the homes of people who are under the poverty yeah. level, which is fine. But and like, I'm not criticizing that at all. But I think the more helpful thing would be to pull people up from underneath the poverty level. Right. Yeah, and it's probably something beyond the scope of any one organization to do. Right. And there are getting kids books to read and getting them to read is different than just having books on the shelf. Like mm-hmm. you might be, I mean, maybe you're implicitly or explicitly referencing the Imagination Larry by Dolly, the Dolly Parton's Foundation, right? Which mm-hmm. you sign up and your kid gets a book. I think every month until they're four or something like that. And but that doesn't. That's not putting a quota on how many books need to get. On, and then you have to. T- it says nothing about taking the book and then putting on a shelf and making sure you get at least this many. Like it's just doing something very simple, which makes a little bit more sense to me. Yeah. Because no one really argues that like reading is good for kids. Like if there's one truth that sort of the American public can get behind, a oh, God, I hope <laughs> it's like reading to kids is good. Like reading to your kids is good. Having your kids read is good. Like mm-hmm. there's 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 hard to find a more defensible position. But this next step of like, I feel like there's an acquisition part of this too is weird because I don't know, I don't know what you do. I don't know if you have a billion books around your house, but we actually don't have that many books sitting around on shelves. We've got the kids' books. We go to the library a lot, and our library table is always turning over. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I could have 500 books on the shelf. 
I guess I just don't believe that it's going to matter versus what we're already doing. Maybe that's where I'm, I'm getting my, my dander is up because of that. Yeah, um, I mean, and they say here that literacy continued to increase with the number of reported books up to around 350, at which point it flattened out, which seems to me that like liter your literacy rates of a child continues to increase up until like your parents are professors. And then after that, <laughs> right. what does it matter? Because right. <laughs> like you've got the most right. literate parents possible and mm-hmm. who obviously have the economic means to have a, a library like that. I do have tons of books all over my house but it's worth saying that most of those were sent to me for free by publishers like i don't spend money right on tons mm-hmm. and tons of of books for my kids and you know i don't know yeah I just don't their think conclusion i think also rubbed me the wrong way scholarly culture is a way of life oh, like what is that <laughs> scholarly culture uh, my culture is not scholarly like i got i have I, more I, books than 300 i have way more than 350 books in my house and there, there's no scholarly culture happening here yeah, it's it's strange. I don't know. It, shoot us an email, podcast at bookwright.com. What do you think about these kinds of studies? Like, Do you have other theories about why this particular kind of metric of like number of books and you make, um, you make this number of widgets of smart kids? I mean, I'm really grossly oversimplified, but that's the, that's the core of it, right? Like why is this a study that we care about? And maybe it's because we can count. It. I mean, that's going to sound dumb, but like, we what we can't really measure is the parents' encouragement of kids to read. Mm-hmm. There's not a metric that you can fill out on a bubble sheet, right? Like, what if you have 500 books that you don't let your kids touch? Does that make a difference? Yeah, I mean, and I what know. if there are 500 um, books about welding? Right. Maybe. I mean, it could be. Yeah. Um, does it matter what kind of books the 500 are? Mm-hmm. Because if it's not, then we really should just be re- going to the last day of the library sale where everything's 10 cents and you can fill up a box for like a dollar mm-hmm. and collecting all those books and then like putting them in subsidized housing. I mean, that mm-hmm. sounds dumb, but like that's the reducto ad absurdum of this kind of study claim, right? It's just, well, just put books on the shelves. Mm-hmm. It feels like magical thinking to me that, that, uh, that this is – you measure what – you're measuring what you can and therefore you're making the conclusion you can what you measure, but it's sort of missing the forest for the trees. For that, the, that's guess, scholarly. For the dead trees. Yeah, that's scholarly – community whatever comment makes me feel like what they're actually saying is we need isn't like put more books on the shelves it's more college educated people should have children like that seems to be the actual conclusion oh that's interesting which is weird (laughs) like that's a because that's what they're implying right like (sighs) scholarly highly educated people who can afford to have and put value in physical books filling their home with Mm -hmm. these kinds of objects and care about them implicitly should be parents and a counterexample is no um it doesn't undermine wholly like the you know the claim because this is not in, this is not deductive reasoning this is inductive reasoning but like my my parents were readers but they didn't keep books around the house mm-hmm. i mean we didn't have giant bookshelves and you know not not to toot my own horn but i came out pretty scholarly on the other <laughs> side um and so thinking about the the practices and habits of mind and encouragement um, were that was something about something other than having a bunch of books. It was about value and reading. And like, you know, I remember as a kid, my dad sitting up at, at you know, on a Friday night reading Plutarch in the armchair mm. that he then, you know, sold to a used bookstore. <laughs> so that, that seems to me more indicative than like whether there have been a bunch of shelves of Louis L'Amour novels, which maybe also is fine, but that's just not what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder, you know, my parents gave me like Thomas Hardy in my Easter basket when I was 13. Wow. That's hard to replicate. That's hard to measure. Right. That's what I'm <laughs> saying. Like there's no bubble sheet for that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, how many, um, C plus plus for dummies and, uh, used copies of the lovely bones. It doesn't feel like that's the substitute for, for that kind of thing. But again, it's what they can, they can measure. Um, I, I continue to be fascinated by our fascination with this kind of study. Mm-hmm. I, again, it's, it's meta point day here at the book, Riot Podcast. I'm so sorry, Amanda, that you had to be in the chair <laughs> for when Jeff does this <laughs> kind of thing. Speaking of things, we're so sorry about. Yay. <laughs> Amanda, Amanda, did you know there were hornets in them? Their hives oh, about yeah. this story. Oh yeah. You did. I, okay. That's why I put it on Instagram. Cause I wanted to see what the well, engagement would like. I, I just wanted to see what would happen. Cause I knew it was going to get. So bring action. us home then bring us home about, um, the, uh, the tempest in a um, <laughs> cauldron, I guess. Yes. So there is. <laughs> that we, 
an independent bookstore in New York, in Brooklyn, because of course it is, called Catlin Books, and they are like a witchy occult bookstore, and they are hosting an event tomorrow, actually, as of this recording. Can't go. Tomorrow. It's all yeah. sold out. Too. It is sold out. They're hosting an event to hex Brett Kavanaugh, and, and I'm <laughs> quoting here, all rapists and the patriarchy which emboldens, rewards, and protects them. We will be embracing witchcraft's true roots as the magic of the poor, downtrodden, disenfranchised. Okay, so that's happening. So I'm inserting ourselves. And into no judgment on no, that, like, other than we thought it was interesting. Do right? what you I mean, want. Do, do, do you, you do you, which is. Right. And I feel very strongly that a lot of the people who are attending this are, are like women who are angry, who are looking for some way to express that. Maybe they don't think right. that this is a real thing that's going to happen or have any effect. They just want to feel like they're doing something mm. and there's so much value in that. That's that totally matters. So awesome. Do you. But, and I'm inserting, you know, book right into the, the story uh, here. But I decided when I saw this story that like we should write about this because this is amazing mm -hmm. so we wrote about it i put it on instagram the reaction was bonkers bonkers like i i feel like i trolled people on accident uh, maybe a little bit on purpose but um the reaction was was very intense on on both sides of the of the hexing it's just such nonsense okay and then but like <laughs> it gets better no it gets better because now a catholic exorcist yes is holding a mass for Brett Kavanaugh to counter the witch's hexing. This is what's happening in the year of our Lord, 2018. Oh, boy. <laughs> so this guy, yeah, okay, Father Gary Thomas, who is an exorcist, like this is his title, in California, which kind of surprised me. Mm. Says, I sent this, he, he caught wind that this was happening, and he said, I sent this to a load of exorcists yesterday. What? And their reaction was... <laughs> that's, that's the uh, plural noun for exorcist, right. a load. Like a murder of crows. <laughs> yes. a load of uh, and their reaction was similar to mine. That shows this is not something that is make-believe. Yeah, oh yes, a bunch of Catholic priests <laughs> believing something is inherently true. It's how we show that something is... It's uh, too good, it's man. And then he said, this is a conjuring of evil. It's not about free speech. Conjuring up personified evil does not fall under free speech. Really? It doesn't? I'm pretty sure it does. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the hexing sold uh, out. Totally sold right. out. They're now doing a second event, and half of the proceeds are going to Planned Parenthood, and half of the proceeds are going to the Alley Forney Center, uh, which is a charity that helps homeless LGBTQ kids mm. in the U.S. You can still make a donation, even if you can't attend the hexing. Um, so if you mm -hmm. want to give some money to those two organizations and this amazing bookstore that is like doing the good work, then please mm. do do that. And that is the story of the hexing and the Catholic priests. <laughs> Again, I, I can be guilty of, um, you know, doing meta mind and being like, huh, that's a thing people do. Mm -hmm. I think your point is extremely well taken of. There is a lot of women's anger, pain, mm -hmm. rage, looking for outlets. Mm -hmm. Um, because structurally, we don't have that many, if any, um, authorized you know, outlets for women's anger. And so it's going to come out in these marginalized spaces, for right. lack of a better term, mm -hmm. right? It makes, it, makes sense, it makes a lot of sense uh, from that level. Whether, whatever, you know, my, as for a long-time listener of the show, you probably aren't surprised. I don't really think that hexes are a thing. Right. Like, on the other hand, I don't particularly think that like Catholicism is a thing. <laughs> But that's me. It's just it's, um, it's equal opportunity, not a thing. Yeah, right. You know, I I'm I'm uh, my my agnosticism and, and borderline atheism applies to all supernatural mm -hmm. sort of belief systems, um, but that I think is interesting that there's a certain person and they popped up in our comments mm -hmm. that believes that even if they don't think hexing are a thing, what they're reacting to, and tell me if, I'm, if you think I'm on the right track here, is not the hex. It's the women's anger yes. that's getting them stirred up. It's not that you know they're putting on black hats and making weird finger shapes or whatever the hex is. That's not what's got them stirred up. It's that a bunch of women mm -hmm. are doing something of which they are not a part and they do not approve, nor they do they get approval. And that makes them nuts. Right. It makes them absolutely nuts. Because no one consulted. No one consulted yes. them. <laughs> like, no one consulted whether or not I thought it was reasonable right. to do this. Thing yeah. or not. And so many, you know, I, I deleted them as they were coming in, which I do not regret, but also there's no record of it. Uh, but so mm -hmm. many, all, all 100% of the comments that we got that were like, I understand where they're coming from, but we all know this isn't a thing, right? Can't they find something more constructive to do with themselves? 100% of those comments were from men. All of them. Right. And I just deleted right. them because screw off. Mm -hmm. Like who, who, 
women, at this, especially at this moment, women's anger doesn't need to be constructive. It doesn't need to be anything. It just is what it no. is, and how we do how we deal with that is our well, own business. But also, they're wrong, right? right? They're buying tickets, and the proceeds are going to to, to causes. Big charities. I mean, that's yes. Mm-hmm. That's that's something like, look, I'm going to like a run walk at my kid's school today to raise money for the school. We don't have to go through the the theater of a marathon to give money, mm-hmm. but we do it because it gives us something to coalesce around, and you know, it gives like. And that's what it, it is. It, it's it's yes. It, it's a it gets a reason for women to gather together in one space and shoulder this thing with each other, mm-hmm. whether or not it's they a catalyst. Do some kind it's a of, catalyst, right? right. Yeah, and like right, the the, exactly. the ritualistic aspect of it could be a thing you believe in or not. That I feel like that's almost missing the point. Um, yes, totally but, agree. Yeah, right. It could be. Carving pumpkins, sure, it could be it knitting, could be it could be flying drones with political messages on them. Like, it could be any number of things. This is just what happened to be, mm-hmm. um, because I'm assuming the person that started to organize it has some personal investment in this kind of language. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm trying to be I mean, very... it's a witchy bookstore, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And they, I mean, they're invested in this particular kind of discourse right. and belief system and metaphor. The expression. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Uh, I, I, you're, that's not a surprise, and I'm sure they're all good liberal dudes who said um, that kind of thing. Oh, always, um, always. No, always, always. <laughs> I not. just also like not to put too fine a point on it, but I don't think that Catholic priests coming to the defense of a sexual abuser against a bunch of women is a good look for them right now. Like, did the no. Vatican have any say in? This statement, I don't. I doubt it. And would they? Would they condemn it? No, if they did, probably not. No, but they wouldn't. I mean, they you know, like hashtag cool pope, but like who knows? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know all sufficiently large organs, well, even small ones, have mm. their fringe elements that are sort of beyond the umbrella of control. But you can still say things about, hey, they're beyond their umbrella of control, yeah, right? right? Like you could say something like that um, to 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 make some sort of claim. About it, um, so that's that was the I don't that even know happened. How to <laughs> that's that, that, that is a thing that happened. Trying to describe um, my week. day that day to like my that's friends a weird one. Was so we haven't really, we hadn't had one like that in a while. Every yeah, now and again, we'll get um, uh, a bit of a hornet's nest mm-hmm. riled up about something. Uh, what's different about you than me or Rebecca that have held that um, stick before? Is you like to poke it a little bit more than we ever I do, did? I do, I do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, no judgment, <laughs> none, none implied. Uh, but you, you, you don't mind poking the hornet's nest, which I have always admired about you. I do have to say, I just find it because I'm a chicken. I'm a chicken. Oh, I'm not. I, yeah, it, you're not a chicken. I'm not. I'm not a chicken. But they, the the reactions. Also, all are chickens like, are robots. But that's a separate. Oh my gosh! Why did you do that? Why did you do the birds are real thing? <laughs> now you're gonna have to explain it to people, Jeff, and they're gonna no, know how crazy we are. <laughs> No, they don't have to explain anything. It's not my fault if they don't know that all birds have been replaced by robot spies for the NSA. Government it's not my problem. Drone. Look, I'm just saying there's a YouTube channel about it, so you can go check that yeah, out. Yeah, I'm just saying, have you ever actually caught a wild bird in your hand and checked it was a real bird? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, some people have, right? Like, they're falconers. I can't have this conversation on the air. Co-conspirators, Amanda. It goes everywhere. <laughs> Jonathan Franzen. Is right all the way to the Audubon. James Audubon was number one. He was Illuminati. He was a Freemason. Did you know that, James Audubon? Okay. I'm listening to H's for Hawk on audio right now, and I, I'm like second guessing everything, and it's so bizarre. <laughs> that is a it's a beautiful and strange book. It is so weird. It is so much about T. H. White, way more than I thought it was going to be. They undersell that. How much is about T. H. Off being sort of sadist about birds? Yeah, it's so strange. I mean, robots. The English, robots. y'all. I love y'all, but you're you're yeah. you're you're an odd bunch. God bless you. <laughs> Well, Amanda, we're really off the rails now. So far. Um, Google uh, birds are not real if you want to know anything about what we just said. I would advise not doing that and just letting it flow over you. I think you'd be better off. <laughs> it is Friday. Um, it's Friday. It's, it is, it is definitely it's – a, it's a Halloween. We're two weeks out from the midterm. Uh, holding on with both hands Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been our show. You can shoot us an email, podcast at bookriot.com. Let us know about uh, – we'd love – on the ground reporting from the Short Hills uh, Indigo bookstore. The only thing I know about Short Hills in New Jersey is that's like where Philip Roth wanted to live when he was a kid. Like that was the aspirational neighborhood. That's oh, the only thing I know about Short Hills. Um, that's that, when you have um, American history through the from mid-century short stories, that's the kind of thing you know. You know nothing else, but you know about Short Hills, New Jersey as an affluent suburb. Uh, we also want to know about – yeah, what do you think? what do you think is the heart of this? Does merely having books in your home do stuff? 
on them by themselves. Like, what is it about that? Like, if maybe it's something you believe, why do you believe it? Maybe it's something you don't believe. Is there other information or studies or uh, things we didn't think about here? Um, my interest in that is as genuine uh, and thoroughgoing, it would appear. Amanda, thank you so much for being on this. You know, can I can I say a little nutty ending <laughs> show? I don't mind it. I shake it up. What can I say? Yeah, <laughs> you do. That's why we have you on here. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.